So this morning we continue our study through the high priestly prayer. You know, a lot of resources have been written, a lot of things have been contributed to this passage. And I've seen people say this is the, the real Lord's Prayer. Um, and so we see this high priestly prayer. When we began last week, the first five verses, um, where Pastor John uh, took us through what that was. And so, and, and what we're getting in John 17 is this farewell discourse as Jesus speaks to his disciples as his earthly ministry is coming to an end. And in many ways, John 17 which we're coming back from our long series through John. Uh, we're coming back in to, to spend some time in John 17. It really serves as a climax of the Gospel of John. This prayer, I know my wife laughs at me when I say these kinds of things. Uh, this prayer stands as the greatest prayer, and it really is though, ever recorded in the Bible. The superlative. She, she just, you know, kind of, you kind of discredit yourself whenever you begin to use it. But, but this really is. This really is the greatest prayer ever recorded because it's recorded from the best prayer that has ever walked this earth. And so, uh, so, what we, uh, so, so as we step into this prayer, our challenge is to attempt to get our arms around what Jesus is praying. What makes him tick? What are the things that he's most passionate about? If he were preaching in the marketplace, there would be more language of the whosoever, everyone kind of language. But he is alone with the Father here, and he tightens the focus. And the focus is on the elect of God. And as we think about the first five verses... What we dove into last week, Jesus prays concerning his relationship to the Father. In verses, uh, in verses 6 through 12 today, we see Jesus prays for his 11 disciples. And ultimately, everyone who believes in him for salvation, and that includes us. So he's praying for us as well. And there are two ideas, two main themes that I want to draw us in on. As we think through this morning, what, and, and to, to understand this prayer. And those two words are manifestation and preservation. Manifestation and preservation. So we begin with manifestation. By the way, I only have two points this morning. Okay? We begin with manifestation of the Father. Jesus begins this portion of this prayer in verse 6. I have manifested your name. The word manifest means to make visible, to make clear, to make known. And Jesus is the manifester of the Father, I don't even know if that's a word, uh, of the Father to the disciples. Makes sense to me, at least. When he says, I have manifested your name, that means a name, you know, in the Bible, a name represents everything. Uh, and, and for Jesus to manifest the name of the Father to the disciples means that Jesus has come to make the Father known to his people. Jesus is the greatest revelation of the Father that there is. The Father, you know, is manifested in multiple ways throughout the Scriptures. In creation... Psalm 19, verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. 
you could see something of the awesomeness, of the transcendence, of the power, and of the mercy of God just, and even in creation. The Father is manifested through his own works. But the Father is also manifested through providence uh, and history. And the Father is manifested through Scripture. But the greatest revelation of God to us is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus Christ. Because he has manifested the Father to us. John 1.18 says, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Jesus has perfectly explained the Father. In John 12, verse 35, says, And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. In John 14, verse 9, Jesus said to him, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. For anyone to make that kind of statement uh, would have either been a bad man uh, or somebody who was self-deceived, or be the very God in human flesh. And there is no other options. And Jesus has come to manifest the Father to his disciples. And that continues to this day. What you know of God the Father has been made known to you principally and primarily through the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Note here, though, who's made this manifestation. He says, picking up there, to the men whom you gave me out of the world. And that refers immediately to the 11 disciples, less Judas, uh, they were chosen by the Father before time began. And in eternity past, the Father gave them to the Son to be his chosen bride. And commissioned the Son to come into the world and lay down his life for the chosen ones. Jesus acknowledges this in verse 6 when he says, they were yours. And this is a concise statement on the sovereign election of God. That God chose them to be his own possession. God chose his elect by himself and for himself. For no reason, no merit in the one that he's chosen. The reason residing solely in the infinite wisdom an amazing love and mercy of God. He chose us not because of us. Rather, he chooses us despite us being who we are. And those whom he chose, Jesus acknowledges, they were yours and you gave them to me. The Father 
entrusted them to the Son before the Son had ever come into this world. And they were the very epicenter of his mission and the coming into this world. It would be for him to save all that the Father had given him in eternity past. In fact, he would go on to say in verse 9, I do not ask on behalf of the world. His mission was not to save everyone in the world. The gospel would be offered and should be offered to everyone in the world. Yet, nevertheless, the Father has chosen a bride for His Son and has given them to the Son to be His loved gift. And they were distinguished from the world by what we see at the end of verse 6. And they kept your word. How will you know if they are the elect of God? They will keep your word. This is to say that, that, that they have placed their life under the authority of the word of God. And it is to declare, to, to keep the word of God... Those who are the elect of God are those who continue in the word of God to continue to live according to the word of God. And there really is so much that we could say about verse 6 and really deserves a lot more time than we can give to it this morning. But look with me at verse 7. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. Jesus' mission, Jesus' message, his ministry, Jesus' words, everything has come from the Father and has been entrusted to the Son. As the Father has sent the Son into the world, and Jesus is, is acknowledging this to the Father in prayer. Verse 8, For I have given them the words that you gave me. In fact, Jesus only spoke the words that the Father had given him to speak. Every time he opened his mouth, he, he spoke the words of the Father that the Father had given him to speak. And Jesus was a faithful preacher. And he was a faithful son to the Father. And he passed on to the world and to these men what the Father had given him. Verse 8, And they received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. These words that we see here, received, known, believed, are all essential elements of true saving faith. Each of those words, these three words, to, to receive the word of God, to, to know or to understand the word of God, and to believe and rest in the word of God concerning Jesus Christ, those are all necessarily elements to, to what it means to, to be, to con that constitutes authentic faith. This is what it means to be a Christian. Now in verse 9, we see how narrow this focus is in prayer. Jesus prays in verse 9, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Jesus will have the gospel proclaimed to the ends of the earth. 
and preach to the whole world. But it is only those who were chosen by the Father who will believe. And Jesus does not pray for everyone. He prays only for the ones whom the Father has given him. This is a very profound truth at this point. And, and I'm already anticipating the emails I'm going to receive uh, this afternoon. Jesus is only interceding for those whom the Father has elected and given to the Son from eternity past. And this phrase, for they are yours, this verb tense are indicates that those whom he has chosen in eternity past continue to be his possession now and forevermore. The Father's choice is ultimate and can never be taken away by anything in the world. He's saying, it is as good as done. Those who are chosen will come to Christ at the appointed time and will forever be kept for eternity future. That's good news, for, at least for me. <laughs> this is really good news for us to hold fast to this morning. Verse 10, All mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. These verses are, are very, very profound and have been building to what our first point is this morning. That Jesus' passionate prayer and ministry were to make the Father known to those whom the Father had given to him from before the foundations of the world. Let me bring this home to your heart this morning. If you are a Christian, it is because God the Father chose you to be a Christian in eternity past. And it is because He gave you to the Son to carry out and execute your salvation. And that the Son has manifested the Father to you in your heart of hearts. You remember when Jesus Ask the, the, the disciples, who do you say that I am? And they say, uh, well, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. You know, others say you're Jeremiah. And he says, who do, who do you say that I am? And Peter responds and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to Peter, flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but the Father who is in heaven. It must be supernaturally given to us to believe and to see who the Father is. And, and, and please hear this. These truths aren't given to us for debate. They are for your worship. They are uh, there to in, induce a sense of awe and wonder and, and ultimately joy and, and, and treasure, treasuring Jesus. Isn't that our mission statement? That you might treasure Jesus? And this is what Jesus is acknowledging in this prayer, and we need to press on. Secondly, I, I want you to note the preservation by the Father. Beginning in verse 11, Jesus prays that not one of his disciples will ever be lost. Verse 11 
And I am no longer in the world. And by the way, this anticipates the other side of the cross. It anticipates the ascension and, and exaltation of, uh, of, of Jesus to the right hand of God. And, and, and that departure is so close and so near that Jesus speaks of it as though it's already happened. I am no longer in the world. But they are in the world. Referring to the disciples who would remain and carry on the work that Jesus had begun. Jesus said, and I am coming to you. He speaks of the certainty of his return to the Father. That on the other side of the cross, he knows that his atoning death will be received by the Father. He will see his seed and be satisfied. And, and he can speak of the returning to the Father with absolute Assurity. He prays, continuing, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. And so the, so the prayer in verse 11 is to keep them in your name. That is, keep them loyal to, to you and, and to your character. He doesn't assume that anyone can go on cruise control. Anyone can go on, idle, on, auto, on autopilot. He aggressively prays to keep them in the love of God. He prays for God to, to preserve them in his grace, to keep us in his name. It is to, to keep us in his arms. It, it is our only hope to persevere in this life. That we are kept by Christ. That we are kept by the Father. Let's say, do, do you ever pray this way? For your kids? For your, your pastors? For your elders? I, I would covet those prayers from you, actually. Yes, those, those who are justified will never be unjustified. Let me make that clear. But one of the ways that God causes his saints to persevere is through prayer and through warnings. So you need to hear the warning of Scripture. That no one is beyond, from a human vantage point, falling away. Until we know that it is not possible, uh, that it is not possible ultimately for the elect to fall away, but, but here's Jesus's Here's, here's what Jesus is praying. Jesus knows who the elect are. The Father elected them in Jesus, and yet Jesus is praying to keep them. If Jesus prays that, surely we must pray that. For ourselves, for one another. He doesn't ask to take them out of the world. That is where we get this well-known phrase, to be in the world, but not of the world, right? It doesn't say you're, you're going uh, to go off to live in some, you know, nunnery uh, or some sort of uh, uh, resort all by yourself. Not, Christians aren't, aren't, aren't to be hiding away, be protected by all contagions and 
but rather those who are to be protected from the evil one. Ultimately, sin. Keep them. Your biggest concern, and this will be very relevant for all the news that we've heard over the last year and a half. Uh, Your biggest concern in life is not sickness. It is sin. Yes, we, we do what we can to avoid sickness, but, but are we doing all that we can to be kept from sin? What if we took precautions against sin the way we take precautions against the virus? Jesus says, keep them, Father. God warns us against sin. He, he means to keep us from sin. By the way, not to keep you from pleasure, but to keep you in his pleasure. Jesus wants you to trust that, to to, to keep your, he wants you to trust that, that to keep your life free from the stain and the temptation of evil is not to make you miserable. It is to make you the happiest people on the planet. You see, Sin lies to you. Sin tells you, eat that fruit. You'll you'll be happy. Your eyes will be open. You'll be so happy when you do. Go take those 20 minutes and throw it away. Throw away your life and your marriage. You'll never be so so happy. Go click on that site. You'll, You'll be, you'll have ecstasy for 10 minutes you know, go hit that drug, you know, uh, enjoy that vindictive rage. It, it will feel good. And sin lies to you because it's not lasting. Only Jesus gives lasting joy. And so we must get on our knees and pray with Jesus, guard us, protect us, keep us. But note, note this preservation is not just to keep us in good standing with God. This preservation has horizontal application. The end of verse 11 says that, that they may be one, even as we are one. More, you know, and I will say more will be drawn out from this in two weeks. Pastor Chris preaches uh, and he gets to verse 21. But don't miss this. When we are kept in the word, when we are kept from sin, when our eyes are kept on Christ and the gospel, we find unity with one another. This is the holy cause and effect of someone who has experienced the grace of God. They will begin to show grace to others. The one who marvels and treasures the forgiveness they've received from God will be better equipped to extend forgiveness to others. Capshaw, this, this needs to be of utmost importance to us. If Jesus was concerned about it, so should we. Our relationships with one another are a telltale sign to whether or not we truly understand the gospel. Jesus prays, just as we are one, speaking about the perfect unity and relationship between the persons of the Trinity, no distortion, no disharmony. 
one will, one essence, one nature. He prays that God would keep us from sin and falling away from the faith. And he prays that we would be united. You see, unity is such a delicate thing. When our eyes turn away from the main thing, namely the gospel and our mission, then we will inevitably turn towards our sin and turn towards ourselves. A.W. Tozer once wrote that, Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned, not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers meet together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other. In other words, he says, when our tuning fork is the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we do a good job of keeping the gospel central in our relationships, in our church, then we will find unity. But don't miss it. Our eyes have to be on Christ. Because we see in Jesus a great intercessor. He cares for us. He, he loves us and, and he's praying for us. And here's where I want to make my second and final point this morning. In this prayer, we see if we are in Christ Jesus, then he prays for us and always keeps us in the Father's grace. Even when we blow it. Don't miss that. We will never fall away and he will preserve us from sin. I didn't add this. And ultimately glorification. You see, in this final verse, verse 12, While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. In this final verse, we see that Jesus has been keeping the disciples. He's kept them, and not one of them that God has chosen for salvation fell away. Friends, once again, this is good news for people like me and you. For those of us who've blown it this past week. You've sinned against God. You've sinned against your family. Against your neighbor. Against covenant, other covenant members of Capshaw. Jesus Christ is so kind to you. He doesn't lash out in anger. Or grow in bitterness. He doesn't turn to the Father and say, Look at that idiot. He doesn't turn to the heavenly host and run you down and malign your character. 
No, rather, he, he's tender. And he's gracious. Even when we don't deserve it. When you blow it and you find yourself in a heap of sin and shame, this is the time Jesus intercedes for you before the Father saying, He's mine. He's ours. She, she's mine. She's ours. Oh, I mean, rest in that truth this morning. Is that not good news? At this point, I'd ask the deacons, you can go ahead and begin to start moving towards uh, the communion table. I'll close with this. What about the one mention that did fall away? The son of destruction. Who, who was that? And this is a reference to Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus adds this in his prayer. Why does he add this in his prayer? Jesus knows that, Jesus, that Judas perished because it was foreordained by the Father. We read in verse 12, so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. This was all in part of a plan. That Judas would fall away because Judas was never one of the sheep. I heard one commentator say he was actually a goat. Judas never belonged to the Lord. He wasn't saved. And then he perished. No, he, he was never saved. Never saved to begin with. And it was marked out before the foundations of the world. So, so Jesus acknowledges in his prayer that Judas did fall away. But the scriptures had already prophesied that. Psalm 41, verse 9. Psalm 109, verse 8. In fact, these texts are, are both referenced in Acts 1, verse 20. When they went to replace Judas, Peter read those very verses to the 120 who were there in the upper room. He says, don't be disturbed by the falling away of Judas. This was all part of the sovereign plan of God. You might be asking, well, why? Why was Judas chosen to be a disciple but not chosen for salvation? And the answer is that it would forever, wherever the gospel is preached, wherever a preacher stands and proclaims the good news of the gospel, this would stand as an example and warning to those who are active in God's church, active in God's work, but have not been born again by the Spirit of God in regeneration. It would be a warning to those who attend church but, but have never come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. But for those who have confessed, who have repented of their sins and believed in the Lord for salvation, those who are resting in the life and the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, those, who, those are the elect of God. And Jesus, Jesus loves you. 
He cares for you. He, he prays for you. You have an advocate who gave up his life and is now interceding for you. This passage is not meant to disturb us by all this language of the sovereignty of God and salvation. It's there so that we might say, wow. What a good and gracious God we serve. This kind of disposition leads us to treasure Jesus and worship his name above every other name. And as the deacons begin to pass out the elements, um, contemplate the kindness of God towards you as sinners. Contemplate the, the provisions Jesus has made for us in the cross and continues to make for us right now at the Father's right hand. So as you take the elements, stop and remember what the Lord has done. If you've never believed in Christ and have been baptized, then there's no shame. Let these elements pass. But I will say our prayer to you is that you would see this, this display of the gospel of Jesus' body being broken, his blood being shed for you, and that it might awaken your faith. If you are in Christ, then you get a picture and a reminder of good of God's sovereign provision for you. Remember what he has done today.